And I tell people in this area that we are the Mzumkulu River. We are the river because our, our cells in our bodies are all sustained by the water from that river. We are all water, different river basins, but we are all water. And uh, the way we manage our water really defines who we are as a people. Water is always seen as a bridge between the spirit and the physical realm. 60% of our body is made out of water, 70% of the earth is made out of water. So there is an inclination and an innate knowing that water is life and there is life in water. Water is life. Water cleanses, water purifies, it heals. And I ask the water that it may continue to be who she is, what it is, and allow for me to copy her and her greatness. And then just to say thank you to her. This podcast is brought to you by Jojo, a proud supporter of South Africa's water activists and a proud supplier of water solutions for a better quality of life. By protecting our most precious resource, Jojo's quality products help to safeguard the well-being of people, communities and the environment. Please enjoy today's episode, a celebration of all things water and the people working tirelessly to protect it. Welcome to For Water for Life, the podcast that tells extraordinary stories of ordinary people and water. They've made it their mission to preserve, purify, and protect the water supply where we live, in a water-scarce and unequal country called South Africa. I'm Gugule Tumhlungo. I'm Michelle Constant, and in this episode, we're initiating a conversation that's a little different than usual. We'll be taking you on a cosmic and maybe even slightly chaotic journey of water on planet Earth. It's a grand history of the universe, with the aim of sparking our imaginations. Because without imagining a new world, we can't change the one we have. Imagination makes it possible to change the way we live and the environments we're living in. So let's start at the beginning, with how water emerged on the blue planet, planet Earth as a result of enormous forces in the cosmos that we still don't fully understand. Water comes from the fusion of hydrogen and oxygen, which are the two of the most basic elements on the periodic table. They came about right at the start of the Big Bang when, uh, when all the elements were being created. This is Anthony Turton, professor at the Center for Environmental Management at the University of Free State in South Africa. He develops cutting-edge technologies with the focus of solving our water issues. He's passionate about South Africa's rivers. In the case of Earth, there's been an open question about where water comes from. One of the theories is that water has in fact come from 
frozen snowballs, frozen snowball type of terrestrial bodies that have uh, crashed into planet Earth over time. And that's also opened up another avenue of, of scientific endeavor as to where DNA, did DNA come in possibly from other parts of the, of the solar system? DNA, of course, is a molecule that carries the genetic blueprint or code for the development of all life on Earth. And this is an ongoing endeavour now with NASA, uh, looking to see if they can find other elements of, of proteins and, uh, and building blocks of DNA in the different planets that we are capable to visit at the moment. But even more wondrous is water. What is uh, remarkable about planet Earth is that we are the only planet in the known solar system, in the known universe, that is uh, got water in solid, liquid and vapour forms. It's the only planet that, uh, because it's got water, that has got, uh, got known forms of biological life. Having said that, NASA is currently doing a lot of work in exploring other distant uh, solar systems to try and find out where there are other planets that might be in the so-called Goldilocks zone. And the Goldilocks zone is the place where you get water in, in solid, liquid and, and vapour form. And they have now found a number of such planets uh, but of course, those planets are too far away for us to actually go and explore. We come from nature, right? We have all these elements within our body. You know, we have the water in our blood. You know, we have the air in our lungs. We have that heat that keeps our body at the right temperature. Um, we have the earth, call it in our bones, in our structure that makes our skin. And so we have all of them, but usually there'll be an element or two element which is dominant that comes out more. And I guess our job is to, to find a balance through all of them. This is Decano Pambani. He's a movement practitioner and his work includes martial arts, breathing and yoga. An important part of his practice is element work. This uses ideas and beliefs around the elements of water, fire, air and earth. He learns about these elements and translates them into teachings and then embodies them through movement. It's like creating a new language that gives us new ways to express ourselves. What we're doing right now when we're talking about this, right, we're also stimulating our imagination. In our environment, we have to imagine it and visualize, like, wow, what would clean waters look like? What would water in its most pure form look like? How does it fall? How does it trickle? How do I want it to reach me, right? That just sets things in motion for us to manifest them, more to crystallize on, in, the, in, in the physical. There is a saying that says, water remembers. And I think it's just such a powerful, you know, uh, saying because it shows that water as an element is an absorbent of energy. And I think that our ancients always understood that water stores solar and cellular memory in itself and that it also contains the energetic DNA of its surroundings and whatever it carries, whether it's, it's human living things or living bodies. If you look at rivers, lakes, oceans, waterfalls, they all carry different or present different spiritual identities because of the nature of how the water is. And this is Tato Tsukudu, a Sangoma or traditional healer who also works for the South African National Parks, a state body that manages 21 protected natural areas. 
Her work is connected to nature and how nature heals. She takes people on sacred retreats into nature and like Tegano, her practice is based on the four elements of the earth, plus the fifth element being the ether or the spirit. There's obviously a different energetic representation between a lake and a waterfall. First of all, in terms of the direction in which the water flows. So a waterfall would be waters that come from a different source, like a river, and they form a different source, you know, because they're falling down off a cliff into another body. So it's almost like they also create a bridge between two sources of water. Whereas a lake is very still and calming and almost also very mystical. It almost gives an energy of there's so many layers to it in terms of what is hidden under the surface. And it's not only just the bodies of water themselves that present a certain type of energy. It's also the natural spaces that house those bodies, whether it's mountains, whether it's caves, uh, whether it's the ocean bed, you know, all of those spaces themselves, because we believe that everything in nature has spirit. So that mountain has spirit, the cave has spirit. And so they also then influence the presentation energetically of that water that it houses. And you can even think about even the microorganisms that live within the water. Uh, the fauna, the flora, the shells, the crystals, the rocks, also those have spirit. So also they then contribute to the unique chi that they've got they contribute that chi into the energy of the water. So when we speak of vibration or energy and memory held in the water, what does that actually look like? There's a doctor by the name of, and his name's Dr. Imoto. But this doctor is a Japanese doctor. And what he did was he went through the long process of taking photos of water, the molecular structure of water, right? What is a copycat, right? Whatever you expose it to, it will copy it, you know? What he would do, he took before pictures and after pictures of the structure of water. So we know that most of the human body and most of the planet is made up of water. Dr. Masuru Emoto believed that vibrations caused by humans, our thoughts, words and sounds, can affect the very structure of water. His photos of frozen water crystals are starkly scientific and beautifully radiant. So he would play music from classical music to heavy metal music, jazz, hip hop. He'll take water from a stream out in the countryside. He'll take water from, you know, a gutter, you know, in the middle of New York City. And he would make a photo of it. And what he found was really, it was staggering actually, how those vibrations in which he exposes the water to, the molecular structure will change according to that vibration, right? These photos would show images of the geometric design that makes up water molecules, examined under a powerful microscope, much like the image of a close-up of snowflake. His photos are lucid and glowing, 
When taking water from mountain streams and glaciers, they are pure and complex structures. But when he takes images of water that is contaminated, the crystals lose their form dramatically. For example, the water which he took underneath uh, New York City was very like chaotic, was very disruptive, very scattered in its image, right? And then taking one of peaceful music, right? Or the frequency of love. Just by looking at that, it will bring peace within you. Like, wow, that's so beautiful. It's so rounded, it's so connected, it's so almost perfect. I think that's what happens also with, you know, the type of water in which we consume. You know, if it's coming straight from source, it probably hasn't come into contact with so much that it's copied it, right? Where it's in the city, it's going through so many frequencies, so many energies, so many vibrations that it copies that vibration. And I think, which is one of the powers of being out in nature, is that you get to get it from its source. And I guess it also has to do with, you know, the impact that it has on us, you know, on how we feel, you know, we're 70% water. Compiled in a book called Hidden Messages in Water, Dr. Emoto's beautiful water experiments aimed to prove that water is shaped by environment, thoughts, and emotions. Well, what we can learn from the water is that, as I spoke already, that water is easily programmed. It copies what it is, right? And that we're also, a large percentage of our body is water. That we should be very conscious about the words in which we speak, the people in which we surround ourselves in, the environments which we expose ourselves to, because we're constantly copying. We're constantly taking in from, from that. Let's illustrate that for you with an example. The Buddha said, your friends are the path. He didn't say that friends are part of the path. He said they are the path. And it took me a while to understand that. And I think I have a better understanding of that. And that has to do with that we are water and that we're constantly copying the vibrations in which we are being exposed to. And friendships are vibrations in which we expose ourselves a lot to. And so if you want to achieve something and the people you're coming into contact with, say your friends, don't believe in it, it's going to be very hard in, to achieve that, right? Because we're constantly being programmed every time we come in contact with somebody. Their astral fluid and our astral fluid, being a water quality, are coming into contact with each other and influencing it on a deep subconscious level. And so that's something, I guess, which we can learn from the waters. But by the very design of our urban spaces, we are systematically separated from bodies of natural water, says Tato. This complete disassociation from nature. I always like to say that nature is like our umbilical cord to the divine. And it's almost as if that umbilical cord has been cut off very violently. And when we live in the cities, we live in a mechanical state of being. Everything around us is mechanical. Because us living in the cities don't have that understanding of the importance of nature, and also because we've lost our indigenous socialization that you would typically get in the villages, where you see how your grandmother and your community interact with nature in its most natural state. 
in, in the city, we are living from a point of survival, not from a point of being. And so on some level, I sort of understand how they treat water or river sources almost from a point of, of negligence. There's nothing that connects them to it that makes them feel that they should really take care of those bodies of water. And that, that's why you see pollution in everything else. But it's also about the systemic socialization when it comes to lack of, of services, you know. It's also about lack of access. So we also live from a point of, I will do with what I can what I can. So that's why you would dump things in the river, etc., etc. Sean Christie knows all about rivers and disconnection. He is a journalist and writer who has an obsession with the Highfelds rivers, the rivers that run along South Africa's inland plateaus, including its cities. And Johannesburg, known for its lack of water, might be the only city in the world with its location chosen because there was no water but gold instead. And historically, under apartheid, you know, the beaches were segregated and inland in the Highfelt, you know, this kind of, this kind of um, separation from water bodies was doubled by the lack of water and, and the fact that the little that was, you know, little created was often private swimming pools. Joburg lives with this kind of thirst, I think, for bodies of water. You know, water in the, the sort of imagination of Joburg is, I found that really interesting as well. It's just not there. And so over the decades, developers, and there's been a lot of attempts to recreate bodies of water. I remember sort of my first experiences of large bodies of water were the Randberg waterfront and Bruma Lake, you know, really humble experiences in hindsight. And these, you know, these were created, you know, to satisfy, I think, some sort of need that people feel, you know, to, to look at water, to gaze at water. I got this on the sort of trail of Joburg's attempts on the Highfeld to recreate, um, you know, large bodies of water or even oceanic environments. And I think a lot of people in the Highfeld know Sun City. You know, it's probably the best known, the Lost City and its wave pool. But lesser known you know, is Shareworld, an ocean, sort of Mediterranean ocean-themed park in, that was created in Soweto in the late 80s and didn't live very long. On opposite sides of South Africa's economic scales, people were trying to quench their imaginations for water. Soweto is legendary and is one of South Africa's largest townships. Townships being places that were constructed during apartheid on the periphery of towns and cities to house black, colored and Indian South Africans. And at its opposite end, luxury estates that sprawl far and wide. Uh, but it was this enormous uh, endeavor to recreate uh, you know, waves and surfing competitions in a Mediterranean village. So, you know, these things have been undertaken and more recently less publicly accessible. So there's enormous security estates. The new thing is to bring in, you know, this sort of proprietary technology called Crystal Lagoons, which is uh, technology that enables the creation of sort of 
Seychellois-type lagoons on an unprecedented scale. And there's one being developed now in the waterfall estate area and one already uh, in existence outside Chwani. And, um, you know, it's just, it, it's quite extraordinary, you know, the, the lengths that, that have been gone to, to recreate water environments uh, in, in Johannesburg. Reaching further back in time in our ancient traditions, we find deeper imaginings, stories that speak of a connection to water as a spiritual element and a symbol of Mother Earth. It's always fascinating to me that in African mythology, the water spirit, or most of the water spirits, are defined by goddesses, you know? It's always a divine feminine energy that is presented, and that's mainly because cosmologically we understand that water has a feminine energy. It is the great divine feminine. And so when you think about Mamlambo or Nomkubulani, who's the goddess of fertility and rain, um, Nyami Nyami, any of those kind of mythological deities that govern and protect the waters are always very feminine. And so what I just wanted to just add is that Runa Esma Africa, we understand that also there's parts of water that are portals into the spiritual realm. And that's why in the olden days, you'd hear stories of someone disappearing and going to Twasa underwater. And a lot of people think that it's like a folklore, but it used to happen. Twasa are trainee Sangomas undergoing initiation. As we've explored in other episodes, water plays a significant role in traditional South African healing practice. And when they went to initiate underwater, they would be met by the spirit of the water because we also feel that within the water, specifically at the gateways of those portals, live these beautiful spirits, the, the water spirits that govern those portals in order to welcome you into those portals and also to, to then take you on your journey back once you get initiated underwater. So we believe that every water body has a custodian or a guardian spirit that looks after the waters. And it's interesting that over time, we've, we've become fearful of it. What is interesting is that in terms of how it's represented symbolically, the spirits of the waters are always symbolically represented in the form of a snake. And for us, a snake is an ancestral guardian spirit as well. You know, to us, it's not a negative thing. Um, spirit of the snake also uh, represents wisdom and charm. You know, what people think it's conniving, we see it as the spiritual intelligence that a snake spirit has. I think the reason why we became more and more fearful of the waters was also a way for people to protect the waters by saying, you must not do that water because the spirit of the waters will take you. So it was almost sort of a way to prevent too much access to sacred spaces by giving that narrative. But I do wish that people could also appreciate that there are spirits that actually protect those waters. And ultimately, the protection of our waters, born from massive cosmic events, lies with us humans, whose own bodies are over 70% water. I do what I do because I want my children to be able to still have access to the healing power of nature. I do what I do because I want to remember how great we were. I do what I do because I understand how if we don't heal 
water and all these other natural spaces, we are contributing to a greater cosmic disorder. Whenever there is something that is taken away from the natural cycle of life, we are creating more and more disorder. So the more we pollute our natural spaces, we are creating more and more natural disorder. The more we forget that we need to look after nature, we are also contributing to cosmic disorder. We don't understand that as Africans, we've always been uh, natural conservationists. Environmental awareness is not something that is foreign to us as who we are, you know, the way that we use certain things in a sustainable manner, the way that we used to hunt in a sustainable manner, or the way that we used to harvest to make sure that we harvest what is just enough for us to keep going. And so if we understand that knowledge and understanding that as Africans, the way we revered nature, our point of reference and, and communication and engagement has always been from a point of conservation, then I think we would do better in terms of healing the waters and healing the rivers. Nature has been Chakra Jasad's biggest inspiration. She's an interior architect and designer that loves working with her hands and material. She thinks a lot about water, especially since the day zero drought that affected Cape Town a few years ago. Cape Town was going through this major drought, which was quite crazy to kind of imagine and see also what was happening. I mean, growing up, we we know that we live in a drier part of the world and, and things do happen. Water does dry up. But this was suddenly in an urban environment, something quite majestic was happening. During this challenging Cape Town day zero water crisis, Shakira was hearing stories and observing scenes that she found hard to look away from. She got inspired to work with water in a different way. She started to search for the water that seemed to be hidden from us. During this day zero moment that I thought if we really had something, each of us, that would collect rain, even on our balconies, even on our walls, we would feel more empowered in a situation like this. How can I personally take the role of collecting my own water in my own hands? And I so wanted to make this easier for buildings to be able to do that. And Aquitecture is a panel that you can attach on the exterior of your building and it has openings in it to harvest rainwater. In our next episode, Shakira will reveal how we can capture the precious water that we don't even know is all around us. I'm Michelle Constant. And I'm Gugule Tumtlungum. Thank you for listening. All our podcasts are available at jojo.co.za. The series was made possible because of Jojo. For water, for life. Find us on social media at For Water For Life and share your water stories using the hashtag Listen to the Water. Because if you do, it can change your life. From the Jojo family to yours, we hope you enjoyed this episode of For Water, For Life. Whether you're looking for top quality storage tanks, water filters or other water solutions, Jojo has the product ideal for you. Discover our range at jojo.co.za and find us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram for all the latest product news and water-related content. 